Thou art clothed with honor and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flaming fire, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Look at verse number 13, if you would. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. Look at verse 24. O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. Look at verse 31. The glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his works. Now verse 35. Let the sinners be consumed out of the earth, and let wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for the privilege that it is to be here. Lord, thank you for being so good to us. Lord, I'm thankful for a pulpit to preach in. I'm thankful for people to preach to. I'm thankful for a local church to have my family in. I'm thankful, God, for people that are here that are committed to this local church and that do their part to see this thing continue. Lord, we have seen your works. We've seen how good you are. And we would never, and nobody in their right mind, would ever get up here and say that this is the work that they've done. This is the work you're doing. God, this book you gave us is the work that you did, even though you used men to write it, just like you use men to further your work in this world. It's you that do it. You gave us a book that's amazing, God, and I beg you this morning, I beg you, God, to fill me with your spirit. I beg you to help me to be able to put into words the beauty of this book and to help encourage and strengthen the faith of your people in your words. And God, by any chance, if there's somebody here today that's not sure about you, not sure about the truth, not sure about what we stand for, what we believe here at this church, which is truth from this book, I pray that you'd Give them the light that they need, that you would shine the light into their hearts. We know that our adversary, the devil, the God of this world, just blinds their minds that they might not see the truth. So I pray this morning you give them what they need to see the truth and help them to respond to it when they get it. We ask you to move and work in our midst. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Psalms is one of the five books of the Bible that's considered a book of poetry. It's also one of the five books of wisdom. And I got looking at this particular psalm and thinking about how poetic the whole thing really is. I I started to think about that because I'm like, why, why would God use so much poetry in his word to communicate with people? So I actually did a little bit of researching on this, and this is from John Ernest, the chair of the Department of English at the University of Delaware. He said this, he said, It's almost like when you're trying to tell someone how much you love them, and the language, does just, the language just doesn't seem adequate or accurate to communicate your actual feelings. He said, poetry hits at those moments when you need to have much more packed into what you're saying Many more levels operating at once. That's kind of wild, isn't it? 
So when God wrote this book, he's, he's writing this thing in a way because he's trying to communicate some things to us. And, and really, if you thought about it, the Bible says that if all the works of Jesus Christ were written down, the world could not contain all that he had been doing. But what you've got is 66 books you can hold in your hand and you can open and read that God layered that thing in such a way that all the truth of the ages is contained right here in this book. So if we were to truly unravel our Bibles, it would expand out into eternity. And I mean literally this book that you hold right here in your hands. If you were to unravel the mind of God wrapped up in this book, it would roll out into eternity. That's wild, ain't it? What's crazy to me is this is written by a man and he's writing this thing to God. Look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. A man is writing his own thoughts in his own heart to God under the inspiration of God so that we can understand some things about God. <laughs> yeah. You understand how powerful that book in your lap is? Look at the last verse. He says, let sinners be consumed out of the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. So the parentheses on either side of chapter 104 is, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. And then he comes to the end, he says, Bless thou the Lord, O my soul. Praise ye the Lord. This man's trying with everything in him and he's doing a phenomenal job of it because the Holy Spirit of God is stamping his approval on that saying every word this man is saying is an inspired word from me to the generations to come out into eternity. This is the word of God brought down from heaven, put on paper through a man to minister to you and I to help us understand something about how we can make God happy. That's what bless means. It actually means to make happy. It means to praise, to extol, to magnify. Don't you want to make God happy? Can I say this? Honestly, if we, we really, from the depths of our heart, only cared about making God happy with our life, do you know how many of your problems and struggles and sins and all the rest of those things that constantly trouble you would take care of themselves? If your number one focus in life is, God, what pleases you? God, what makes you happy? Then I am telling you, so much of your life will take care of itself. Even the burdens that you have to deal with, the problems that you carry, the troubles and trials that have beset you, if you realize that in those things God can become happy with you and you're able to please God through them, then that will give you the strength to get through those troubles if that makes sense to you. Why? Because making God happy is really all that matters. And he knows my frame. He remembers I'm dust. He knows the path that I take. He knows how to get me through it, and I can please him in my troubles. I want to make God happy with my life. Look, I could trick you. I could trick my wife. I can trick anybody that I care about, that I respect, that I look up to, and make them think I'm a good guy, but God knows me. God knows the real me. God knows me better than I know myself. I want to make God happy. 
I'd like to look at this chapter with you and see if we can glean some things out of this psalm about how this man who actually obviously made the Lord happy because God's writing down what he has to say and giving us some things that this man learned and observed and understood about God and is praying to the Lord and speaking to the Lord a, a poem written and God's saying, I want you to pen that down so that Mike Reagan can learn in 2023, he can learn from what you've learned about how to make me happy. There's a tremendous amount of wisdom to glean from this chapter in pleasing the Lord with our life. Let me say this. I, I ask God on a regular basis for wisdom. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. That's a great promise from the Bible. I mean, God literally promised that if I ask him for wisdom, he'd give me wisdom. Whew then I would be an absolute fool not to ask God for wisdom. Say, God, would you please give me what you promised you'd give me if I'd ask you. I'm asking you, so now give it to me. I need the wisdom of God to make God happy. I need the wisdom of God to bless God. Listen, in my human mind, in my human understanding, in my religious viewpoint, in, in, my, in my intellect or my experience, I would say that to make God happy would mean, you know, go to church. I would think that making God happy would be like give. I would think that making God happy would be like my good works outweighing my bad works. I would think making God happy would be like, you know, make sure that you try to do good to your fellow man and learn to love. But that's a human mindset. That's what churches and religions all over the world today are telling people that they need to do to make God happy. But I'm not finding any of that in the passage. Can I say giving's a great thing and going to church is a great thing and, and loving is a great thing and all that stuff, but none of that stuff in and of itself means you're automatically making God happy. I'll say this, if we're making God happy, those things will take care of themselves. So let's see if we can dig down to the root of the problem, the root of the, of the answer this morning and get some help from this passage that'll give us the right start in understanding and realizing whether or not we're living a life that makes God happy. The first thing you're going to notice in the passage is lessons that he gives from creation. That's a wild one, ain't it? This is extremely simple. He actually draws our attention to the foundation that God lays. Look at verse 5. Who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. Look at verse 2. Who covereth thyself with light as with a garment, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth, watch it, layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters. That's a weird one. He gives the foundations of the earth, now watch it, that it should not be removed forever. Stop. You, you know since you're Bible believers, you're sitting on the second creation, really. It's the first creation, but it got recreated. God originally created heaven and earth. And then in verse number 2 of Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now when you start studying your Bible, you find out nowhere when God creates does he create without form and void and darkness. When God creates, when God does something, it's good. So originally God created the original earth and he put Lucifer over that thing and Lucifer rebelled against God and God destroyed it. He sunk it in water. That's not Genesis chapter 6. That's the first time. 
The Spirit of God moves on the face of the water. God divides the waters from the waters. That means above outer space, there's water. There's a sea of glass like the Bible teaches. And in, in the middle of that thing, he hangs the earth upon nothing. What you're sitting on is, is a recreation of the original creation. And then you start going through Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you see that God in six literal days does this recreation. Then God tells you, after he drowns it out in the book of Genesis chapter 6, he tells Noah, I will never again destroy the earth with water, because that was the second time he had done it. So he promised him, I'll never again destroy it with water. You know what he's going to do with the third time? He's going to destroy it by fire. We're getting to that in Revelation as we go through it on Sunday nights. And when he gets to the end, he's burning this thing up with fire. And he's bringing down a new heaven and a new earth. But look at verse 5. It says the foundations remaineth forever. He said he's burning it up. We better figure out what that foundation is. Because before God builds anything, he lays a foundation. Go with me, if you would, please, back to the book of Job. We're going to run some references this morning, and if you can turn, then that would be great. I've tried to lay them out as simply as possible. Job is one book back to your left. Go to Job chapter 26. Job chapter 26. Look at verse 5. Now, I'm not, this morning, I'm not going to be able to really dive into everything that I'm going to point out to you, okay? So what I'm going to do is mess with your head <laughs> so that you come back to church to learn all this stuff. Because some of what we're going to throw out there tonight, you can't learn in one session. You've got to get in the book and stay in the book and faithfully stay in the book. And if you stay in the book week after week, month after month, year after year, your mind will be blown at the beauty and power of this Bible in front of you. I really believe this. I really believe I love my Bible more today than I ever did before. And I got saved 40 years and one month ago. And I've been in church, Bible-believing churches, listening to preaching my whole life. And this Bible is still opening up to me on levels I didn't think was possible. This is an amazing book. So let me just confuse you a little bit, all right? Job chapter 26. Dead things are formed from under the waters and the inhabitants thereof. What's that, preacher? A lesson for another day, but it's true. The Bible said it's true. Watch this. Hell is naked before him, and destruction hath no covering. He stretcheth out the north over the empty place. The north is where he dwells. Promotion cometh not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He setteth up one, and taketh down another. You know why it said God is the judge? It names the east, the west, and the south. It never mentions the north. You know why? Because promotion comes from God. He's in the north. Self-promotion comes from the devil. But real promotion comes from God, and it comes from the north, because he dwells in the north, the upper parts of the north. So he says he stretcheth out the north over the empty place. That's over outer space. And look at this. And hangeth the earth... Upon nothing. He hanged the earth on nothing, then where's the foundation? It's not some giant man that looks like you know, Mr. Olympia holding the earth on his back. It's not some turtle. For the flat earthers, it's not some flat earth with pillars underneath it or whatever. I mean, there's just all kinds of little genres out there that have their own little take on it all. He sitteth upon the circle of the earth. 
It's round. And he hangs it on nothing in the middle of outer space. Where's the foundation? He bindeth up the waters in the thick in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under him. He holdeth back the face of his throne and spreadeth his cloud upon it. Go with me, if you would, please, to let's look at the next one here. Go to the book of um, I can't read my writing because I didn't pick up my glasses yet. Job 38. I'm still not wearing them in the pulpit. You're just going to have to wait for me to zoom in and out until I find the right spot. Job 38, look at verse 4. Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof if thou knowest? Or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, who shut up the sea with doors when it broke forth as if it had issued out of the womb? When I made the cloud the garment thereof and thick darkness a swaddling band for it. And break up for it my decreed place and set bars and doors and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days and caused the day spring to know his place? That it may take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked may be shaken out of it? You know what he's saying? Where were you and how do you know the answers to this? Do you know nobody knows the answer to that but God? He said he laid the foundation of the earth. Where is it fastened? He hung it on nothing. What's it fastened to? He's going to burn it up, but he said it endures forever. Where's the foundation? You know, in order to make God happy, you've got to ask God for the wisdom to understand God, who he is and how he works, so that we can follow his example. And when God works, he gives us lessons in creation and he lays foundations to things before he builds on them. He puts the right foundation down and you and I got to understand that a foundation is everything when it comes to doing anything with your life for God. And only he knows that foundation. But we're not done. We've got to turn to some more. Go to Psalm chapter 11. Let me show you what the devil does. Psalm chapter 11. Go to your right. Psalm chapter 11. Look at verse 3. He said, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So you know what the devil will do? The devil will try to destroy the foundation. Why? Because that's what you've got to build on. So if the devil can get a jackhammer out and begin hammering away at the foundation of your house and go around that thing and keep busting it up at the bottom, the rest of it will come down naturally. So the foundation's very, very, very important. What foundation are you building on? What foundation is the earth established on? It's something. It's definitely there. Go to the book of Matthew chapter 7, please. Matthew chapter 7 in your New Testament. The foundation's there. And the foundation, according to the Bible, it stands sure. And according to the Bible, the foundation even of the earth is forever. But God says He's going to burn it up and create a new one. Matthew chapter 7, look at verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built this house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. You know what he's telling them there? He's saying, you guys better build your house on the right foundation. It's a lesson from creation. In creation, God laid some kind of a foundation that you and I can't address, you and I can't understand, you and I in our human intellect can't grab a hold of what that foundation is, but God said, I laid a foundation that I built the world on, and that foundation's sure, and that foundation stands, and that foundation's eternal. Where were you and what did I fasten it to? What do you know about the universe? What do you know about the, even just the little puny earth on which you live? Who are you and what do you think you know? Because I got a foundation out there and I laid that foundation. That foundation's good. That foundation's going nowhere. And then he says what the devil's going to try to do is destroy the foundation. And that's why America's shot. I can't hardly sing these songs, God bless America and all the rest of that stuff. I, I want God to bless the country. Don't you want God to bless America? Wouldn't that be great? But how can you honestly say, God bless America, when America's doing all that America's doing against God? Because God says, if you do this stuff, then you're going to reap what you sow. So what I could say is, God, have mercy on America. God, give us a little bit longer. God, let your long-suffering and your grace and your mercy show to give us some time to reach some more people. It's about the best I can do. Why? Because the foundation's destroyed. And that's what the devil wants to do in your life, is ruin the foundation. So let me ask you a question. Lessons from creation, right? You want to make God happy? What foundation are you building on? This is why when we preach here, we tell you that the most important thing in this world is your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The point of church is not church in and of itself. The point of church is getting closer to the Lord. The point of preaching is not preaching in and of itself. It's not to make me feel better and to encourage me necessarily as long as we're encouraging you in the right thing. What are we encouraging you in? The point of preaching is to draw you closer to Jesus Christ, to teach you more about Him, to help you know the right foundation, to get your feet firmly planted and fastened on the rock that you can build your life on so as life happens to you, one week, one month, one year at a time, hey, listen, your relationship with Jesus Christ stands the test. And you make it through no matter what comes your way. There's a foundation. We're not done yet. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And then I'll tell you what I believe that foundation is over there in Psalm 104, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's pretty obvious. We don't have time to run all the references this morning, but it's obvious what the foundation is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look at verse 10. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He said, I lied the foundation. And then in the next verse, he says, let me tell you what the foundation was. I told you about Jesus Christ. I preached the gospel to you. 
I told you about the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, upon which the church is built. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, is what he was saying. Because other passages make it clear that he is the rock, he is the chief cornerstone, he is the one upon which the church is built. So what he's saying is, I laid the foundation. You didn't know the Lord. I came preaching Jesus to you. I gave you the gospel. You trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now you better be careful how you build on that foundation. The foundation of God standeth sure. Your salvation is in Jesus Christ. You won't lose your salvation no matter what you build on that rock. You can build wood, hay, and stubble on that rock. It'll burn up at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. But you won't lose your soul even if you lose your works. So what he's saying is, listen, when the right foundation is down, that's a great thing. Now start building on that foundation the right things. And boy, if you're already saved and you're here this morning, that's what we're trying to do as a church. We're trying to build on that foundation. Foundation's Christ. But we got to take heed how we build thereon. Now look at verse 12. If any man build upon this foundation gold, that represents deity. That's God. What you do for God. Silver represents redemption. That's Jesus Christ. Precious stones represent people. What you're doing for God because of your salvation and as it ministers to others are three things that when it stands the, the, the test of fire at the judgment seat of Jesus Christ, that stuff will get purified. Fire purifies gold. Some of you do right the best you know how and you recognize when you're doing right that you're still fallible and you feel bad about it and you hope you're doing right for the right reasons. I hope I'm doing it the right way and I hope it was good enough. And Listen, stop sweating it so much. Do the best you know how for God to build on that foundation and recognize God lays foundations. And when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you got on the right foundation. That was a foundation that God Almighty laid and you got on His Son when you trusted Him as your Savior. Now rest in that and do the best you know how and trust God when he puts fire to those works he'll purify it that means all the junk that was in it he'll get off and you'll walk away from the judgment rewarded more than you even deserve because that's how great God is but there's a problem the problem is when people don't know the right way to build it's wood hay and stubble that's all dead things that's what you do in the flesh by the power of the flesh that's why we don't pressure you to come to church you can come to church, you can give, you can give generously. And God says, that's going to burn up at the judgment. You can faithfully come to church and God says, that's going to burn up at the judgment because you ain't doing it out of a love for Jesus Christ. You're doing it out of the power of the flesh. What we're trying to do here is build on a good foundation. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. This is the last one and we'll get back to Psalm 104. Ephesians chapter 2. Look at verse 20. He says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. That doesn't mean there's apostles and prophets in the church today. That means we're built on the foundation that they laid, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Look who that stone is. You know who the foundation is? The chief foundation is Jesus Christ. In whom all the building, that's you and I, fitly framed together, we'll get back to that in a minute, groweth up into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom also ye are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So the foundation is the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. Guess where the apostles and prophets are? They wrote this book. That's the foundation that you're building on. 
Salvation's the chief cornerstone, but you've got to lay a good foundation off that cornerstone. And you don't trust some man who comes along and says he's a prophet. Well, God told me to tell you I'm a prophet, I'm an apostle. Hogwash. I got the apostles and the prophets right here. Other than that, now we have evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's what's left. And the way you judge them is by whether or not they're building on the right foundation. They ought to say, open your Bible. They ought to say, turn to this passage. They ought to say, do you have a question? Sure. What's your question? Why? Because they're teaching you the Bible to build on that foundation. Listen, when God created the universe, he laid some kind of a foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ. Let me show it to you real quick. Go to John 1. I said we were going to go back to Psalm, but I lied. Go to John chapter 1. This one's not in my notes. It's free, but i got to give this to you. John chapter 1. Give me a second to find where I'm going here. Uh, we'll start in verse 6. John 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Every man that comes into the world gets lit up by Jesus Christ one way or another. Every man. We are without excuse. Everybody gets a witness in conscience and creation. Everybody everywhere. He was in the world. And the world was made by him. You know who the creator is? It's Jesus Christ. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Now the world and the Bible is the system. That's the people. The earth is the, the planet. But the world is the system. The planet knew him. He said to the winds and waves, lay down. The planet knew him. When he became sin for us, the planet screamed and shook. An earthquake hit. The rocks were rent. The sun shut off. The earth knew him. Because the foundation of the earth was on the cross of Calvary. Where were you? What have I fastened it to? That thing's fastened to its creator, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the creator, the inventor of all things scientific. You'll never know science without knowing your Bible. You'll never know science without the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll never understand any of it without the one who put it in place. He's the foundation of it all. That's why he can fry it up and bring a new one out and say it's remaineth forever. Why? Because I'm the one that laid the science out. I'm the one that told you the sun was going to rise and the sun was going to set. I'm the one that told you the stars are coming out at night. I'm the one that laid it all out. But it was the people that didn't have the wisdom to know their creator. He was in the world. The world was made by him. The world knew him not. He came unto his own, to Jews, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power. Have you received him? You're a born-again Christian this morning. You trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name. Let's go back to Psalm 104. So if Jesus Christ is your Savior, you got the right foundation. And what he's done is he's created this world around you so that you can understand a little something about him and how to make him happy and to know how he works. 
me ask you a question then, if you're saved this morning. You got on the right foundation, right? Yes, sir. So then once he lays the foundation, he builds on it. You want to please God? You want to bless God? You want to make God happy? Then you ought to be putting some effort into your Christian life. You ought to be opening your Bible and reading it. You ought to be on your knees asking God for wisdom and understanding and asking God to speak to you. You ought to be assessing yourself according to the Word of God and saying, am I growing? Am I pleasing the Lord? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? You ought to be building on that foundation. But there's something else about a lesson from creation. He has certain frontiers set up. A frontier means boundaries. That's what it actually means. It has boundaries to it. Look at this. Watch this. It's wild. Look at verses 9 and 10. Thou hast set a bound that they may not pass over, that they may turn not again to cover the earth. He sendeth the springs into the valleys which run through the hills. You know what God did? God created boundaries for water. That's pretty wild. You guys understand that water has a purpose. You know, water is essential. You have to have water to survive. Do you know if you don't have water for a certain length of time, some very, very bizarre things begin to happen in your body? It'll kill you before long. Water is very essential. But water has boundaries. Water is not the be-all, end-all to everything. Water has a specific purpose for it, and God puts it into boundaries because God uses it a certain way. Look at verses 19 and 20. He hath appointed the moon for seasons. The sun knoweth his going down. Thou makest darkness, and it is night, wherein all the beasts of the forest do creep forth. God actually has a sun, moon, and stars, and the sun, moon, and stars have boundaries. You guys realize how bad we need the sun? Hello, you're Michiganders. We're getting close to winter. Let's get it. Amen. Let's let God hear us say, we need some sun this winter, Lord. It is bad. You know how many people start really worrying about their mental health and needing, you know, counseling and that kind of stuff? And sometimes it's like, you might actually be okay. Try some vitamin D, get some exercise, because honestly, this time of year, it does that to a lot of people. Now, I'm not being a doctor. I'm not diagnosing you. If you need meds, take meds, please, and all the rest of that stuff, right? I would never be, try to play doctor. But, but just a suggestion, if, like, it does happen, Why? Because the sun has a purpose. The moon has a purpose. The stars have a purpose. But you know they have boundaries. God actually wants to tell the sun, listen, I want you to set at the end of the day. Why? Because when you set, then the people go to bed and the wild beasts come out. And I don't want my people out running around in the dark. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I don't want my people running around in the dark while the lions are out prowling looking for something to eat. God sets boundaries on things. The sun's a great thing. The moon's a great thing. The stars are a great thing. But they obey God. They understand what they're created for and why. And in order to please God, you and I need to grab a hold of what we're created for and why. Every Christian needs to understand what the boundaries are that God put on your life. And never push your boundaries. I'm so tired of seeing men say they're called to preach when they're not. Trying not to say you're an idiot. That's what I'm trying not to say. See how I got it in there? <laughs> Listen, man, why, why does everybody have to be a preacher? Where in the world did that? You didn't get that from this pulpit. 
If you're not called to be a preacher, don't preach. You can preach the gospel to lost people and be a witness and a testimony without being this official preacher. That is a great way to destroy your life and to destroy your family and to destroy people that you're trying to minister to for the sake of your ego. And it's not what you think it is anyways. But if God's called you to preach, those are your boundaries. Get in your boundaries and do what God told you to do. I don't care whether you feel like you're gifted or not. Get some discipline about you and trust God and get after it if that's what God called you to do. Why? Boundaries. You know, one of the most destructive things I've ever seen in society is people that don't understand their boundaries. You ever get those people in church who think they're the church counselor? It's nauseating. My wife and I had the privilege of meeting a charismatic preacher and his wife, or preacher and her husband. I think that's how it actually went this week. And every time he talked, she was like, oh, okay, okay. Because she was reading our body language. We were kind of looking at each other. You know, she had a little more of a social IQ than he did. And she's over there. She's over there in my wife's face. She's like, honey, I can tell. So I know something about you. I feel it in my spirit. Oogie boogie. <laughs> Grace was so sweet, man. She was, like, she was absolutely beautiful in the moment. I was looking at her and watching her, and I know her real good. And she's like, really? Thank you. <laughs> she looks at me. <laughs> she's like, are you going to save me? I'm like, nope, I'm enjoying watching this. This is great. <laughs> I could see, I know what she was thinking in her I just know it. She says, uh, you're a teacher. She's probably 20 years older than us. You're a teacher. Do you homeschool? She said, well, I used to. She goes, I knew it. I, you're a teacher. I said, that's why she quit homeschooling, because she didn't think she was a teacher. <laughs> Wild, man. You know what you got there? You got somebody, I'm telling you, we watched the whole thing. You got somebody exercising a gift they didn't have. Prophesying stuff, and we're looking at each other. We didn't tell them what we were. Can we pray together? We looked at each other. Well, we just believe in the power of prayer. We were like, well, we're not actually looking like this because we don't believe in prayer. We're looking like this because I'm a pastor. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Exercising a gift they don't have. Not even having any clue who they're talking to. Not asking enough questions to even know where we're coming from, but wanting to counsel us and preach at us. It's obnoxious. It's a great way to ruin other people's lives, especially if they listen to you and you weren't called to do what you're doing. Can I just encourage every person in the room, you find out what God created you for. There's different parts of the body of Christ. You understand that, right? And your real power is in exercising what it is that God has put in you. You guys know there's absolutely nothing wrong with being a, excuse me, and being a Jim Richardson sitting in the back, counting the attendance, asking me what I need. Say, hey man, would you hold the bathroom for me after announcements? <laughs> sure, no problem, preacher. He's out there holding the bathroom for the preacher. Not up front. If I didn't tell you who the deacons are around here, you wouldn't even know them. But the thing keeps rolling on. We're on the right foundation, got the right beams in place. There's nothing wrong with being one of those beams in that wall to help hold this wall up as God keeps growing the church and bringing people in here and souls keep getting saved. And people, not everybody needs to be the same thing. 
Just find out what your boundaries. Get some lessons from creation. Find out what God created you for and be that. And be happy with that. And thank God you get to be that. Because God sends the sunshine down there to shine on those little plants so that they can come up out of the ground and they can grow. And the sun doesn't have to worry about whether or not they're growing. The sun's just being the sun. The water flows and feeds the grass and feeds the trees and everything is green because you live in Michigan. So don't complain about the winters because it's beautiful up here. Man, we've been in Texas and North Carolina and Florida and the stuff's pretty brown down there. We've got to mow the grass. I'm like, what grass? What are you talking about? You know, you're going to mow it with a machete or what? A chainsaw? Can't walk around in bare feet. Walk around our yard in bare feet, man. It's like a golf course. You know, it's just, it's, there's some good stuff about being in Michigan. Yet water needs to feed that grass so that grass can grow. That grass don't do much, but it sits there and it looks awful nice. God's got lessons in creation. Look at this, God leads in construction. Look at verse 13. He watereth the hills from his chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy works. Verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are thy works. In wisdom hast thou made them all. The earth is full of thy riches. Verse 31, the glory of the Lord shall endure forever. The Lord shall rejoice in his work. You know what God does? Just, just, I want to make him happy. So God not only gives us lessons in creation of putting a right foundation under us and then establishing our boundaries. That's what he's done all around you. That's what he wants to do with you. But not just that, but God leads in the work, in construction. You know, you know in order to construct something, we're, we're learning a little bit about that around here, you have to have materials. There has to be supplies given. We are not going to be able to put this addition on without supplies. We learned that. We had to pay for the supplies. Even though we aren't using them yet, we had to pay for them because they got ordered before we had the pause button hit. Well, what's it all sitting there? It's sitting there. Different supplies are set up so that we can put something together. Do you know in your Christian life it's the same way? God's working. You do understand that God's working, right? He's trying to accomplish something in your life. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your background is. God Almighty wants to do something in you and with you and through you. He leads in the construction. The most frustrating thing for me about God is he's not in a hurry. Because I get all on fire for the Lord and all wound up and I want to get something going and I want to hurry up and make it happen. But I've figured out every time I hurry up, I mess up. Yeah. You ever step back and do a study in your Bible about great men in the Bible and look through and find out how many of them weren't Joseph and weren't David? Starting out young. Actually, even with them, after they started out with a bang in this great exciting story, they keep getting put behind. And off to the races! And then God's like, yeah, let's hit the brakes and back you up a little bit. Yeah. Got to prune that tree. I got to cut that thing back. I got to put a little bit of a hurting on it. I got to hold it back a little bit. Slow down. I'll never forget, I can still see it. My dad, when I was a teenager, said, man, he's just so frustrated with me. He said, I feel, like, I feel like you're like this wild animal and I've been sitting on your back, pulling on the rain, saying, whoa, boy, whoa, your whole life. Slow down! And that like meant nothing. That bounced off me like water off a rock. 
you know, 10 or 15 years later, it got the same thing from one of my preachers. Slow down, man. God's not in a rush. I think finally somewhere around my 40s, my early 40s, I figured out I can't really rush God's construction anyways. There is no point in me pushing back on God. He's God. God is invested in me growing in Jesus Christ. God's invested in growing this church. But He's the one that supplies what's needed to grow. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. If God so clothe the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall He not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Not one sparrow falls to the earth and God doesn't know. Don't you think He knows about you? In other words, God leads in the construction. He's trying to give us some wisdom from this passage and understanding in order for you and I to make God happy, we got to understand that He does the work in us. He does the work through us. And He's trying to give us the things that we need to build our lives the way He wants us to build it. He gave His Son at the beginning. He lays the foundation for us. He gives us His Word. And He's trying to invest slowly but surely into your life to get you where you need to go. Folks, I'm trying to tell you, we have to get the long view in the Christian life. Be content with sitting in a Bible-believing church. Be content with one message at a time, one week at a time. Be content with small little baby steps in your Christian life. I know my personality. I understand. I pray about it. I try to ask God for discernment. I try to ask God to help me see me the way he sees me and the way other people view me. I try very hard to understand that. And I realize that a lot of times in my preaching or over the years, I just feel like there's a lot of pressure. Listen to me. I don't want to take spiritual pressure off of you, but I do want to take pressure off of you. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Be content with baby steps. Be content with small incremental growth faithfully over time. If you're not growing, then you need to get busy growing. You need to ask God to grow you. You need to make sure that you are where the supplies are. you got to get by the water. you got to get where God wants you to be. He set this thing up. He set up a church for the purpose of you growing. It is not my job to grow you. I can't. The purpose of the church is to be a garden where you come to get water, to be planted in fertile soil, to have light from the Word of God shine under your heart and into your mind, into your soul, and help you grow and reach for the sky. But that's a miracle work that only God can do. So faithfully stay in church, please. Keep your kids, listen to me, keep your kids in church. If this is a Bible-believing church, and if you're getting the Bible when you come here, then you need to be real, real careful about moving on. I'm not saying we're the only Bible-believing church in the world. I'm not saying God doesn't ever transplant his kids. I'm saying I believe God transplants them a whole lot less than they transplant themselves. You go ahead and you leave and go somewhere else, and at first he'll be the greatest pastor in the world, and after a while you'll see his humanity. At first, they'll be the greatest church in the world, and after a while, you'll see their humanity. Like Brother Joe said, Aaron and her standing there holding up Moses' arms all day, before long, they began to smell his humanity. 
But God was still using him, wasn't he? I'm saying that God really does lead in construction, and in that construction, he supplies his people and his earth with what it needs to grow. And life is full of seasons. The sun rises, the sun sets, the earth tilts away from it. It gets cold. Sun sets earlier. Why? God's given it a chance to rest. You hang in there. He's doing something with the snow. I'm not sure what it is, but there's treasures in it, and it falls, and that's probably a big part of why in these northern regions it's so beautiful in the spring and summer. I'll bet you there's something connected with the snow going on. The Bible says there's treasures in it. Don't worry. It'll warm up and melt off. God sets that stuff up just like your life. And all the good times and the bad and the summer and the fall and the spring and the winter, the deadness and the coldness and then the beauty of the summer and all the rest of that stuff, that's all designed in your life to give you the nutrients you need to help you to grow. God leads in construction. You want to make him happy? Recognize that he's working in your life. Slow down, calm down, and submit yourself to that work and let him do what he's doing. It takes time to figure it out. Notice in verse number four, God's work is spiritual, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flaming fire. Now you can go look at it later in Hebrews chapter one. What you got in Jesus Christ is a whole lot better than angels. Do you hear me? I don't trust angels. I don't trust them. You know why? Because Satan himself can appear as an angel of light and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. So if I get some vision of an angel, I don't trust that. You know what I trust? You saying you think it's possible for God to speak to people that way? God's God. He can do what he wants. If you're growing up in the part of the world where they don't have the Bible and there ain't any Christians around, you think it's possible for God to speak to people that are seeking the truth? You better believe it. But that don't make me a charismatic. That don't mean you swing so far the other way. You start looking for an angel. God ain't going to give you some kind of a vision or a dream or an angel when you won't pick up a Bible that's sitting right in your lap. And then you're going to trust that vision. You lost your mind. You might be communicating with a devil. I'd rather have a Bible. Thank you very much. And you did hear what I said, right? There's places in this world where they don't have a Bible. I'm telling you, God's God can do what He wants when He wants, and He knows how to reach people. But I'm just telling you that's real dangerous for you and I when you got a Bible. He maketh His angels spirits. Angels are ministers of God, the right ones, and His ministers a flaming fire. I forget what preacher it was. I, thought, I think it was Wesley, but he said, Set yourself on fire and let them come watch you burn out for Jesus Christ. That's what preachers used to be. Back when people took them serious. Back when God spoke to people's hearts and their lives got changed and they started building on that foundation and things really got done and they were stable and strong in the Lord. God's ministers, they got something inside them. You got to understand that. If you ain't got it in your gut, what's wrong with you? But nowadays, you know, I think Billy mentioned it when he was preaching. Somebody was challenging him about the preacher raising his voice. I think the preacher was me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he said where in the Bible do you find that they only took, spoke in certain tones I don't know I find the Bible saying cry aloud spare not lift up thy voice like a trumpet show my people their sin in the house of Jacob their transgression so well he was you know burning flax and yeah the Lord was meek but a lot of his preachers he sent out to be aggressive 
You just got to know who you are and your boundaries. He says he maketh his angels, his ministers, a flaming fire. All right, God leads in the construction, and he does it through this book and through preaching. Go back to verse number two, and we'll look at our last point this morning. You want to make God happy? You better understand where light comes from. The light of our Creator, who covereth thyself with light as with a garment, who stretcheth out the heavens like a curtain. You know what God is? He's light, and in Him is no darkness at all. You love the light? Do you love the light? Yes. I like the light, man. Ain't nothing like getting up in the morning and pulling those curtains open in the living room. Our living room faces east. Having that sun coming up over the neighbor's house, coming through the trees like that, just flooding that room with light. Whew. You know what the greatest light in the world is? It's the light of God. You know why men don't like light? Because they got their mind made up how they want to live and what they want to do and what they don't want to do. And when you shine the light of Jesus Christ and the light of the Word of God on them, they don't like it. it. Makes them miserable. I've had people tell me the most miserable day they ever had is sitting in my church pew. Judging by who said it, I thought, well, praise the Lord, what a blessing. <laughs> doing my job. Doing my job. You hate me for doing my job, that's fine, as long as the Lord knows something about me. As long as I got a smile at his face. As long as his light keeps shining. The entrance of thy words giveth light, giveth understanding unto the simple. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know how you know you got the right foundation? You learn it from the book. You didn't get a bunch of religion. They say you're cultists. They lost their mind. They're involved in cults where a man tells them what to think and what to believe and claims he's Christ on earth. That's a cult. I don't care how rich or how popular it is. When a man writes the rules and not God, you got a cult. You ain't cultists. You're Bible believers. You're born again. You got the light of this book and you know who Jesus Christ is and you put your life and your soul, you put your eternity on that rock. And now you're trying to build on it. So let me say this, don't ever, don't ever shut off the light. Light rejected becomes lightning. That light tries to light every man that comes into the world, right? Every man. He shows it by creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day showeth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. He tries to tell the whole world... By the creation around him, you can see and you know there's got to be a God. And then you respond to that. He brings you down to the truth of the gospel. He shows you who Jesus Christ is. You get saved. Man, that's a great moment. Greatest day of my life was the day I got saved. If you've never been saved, you need to get saved, man. You haven't even started living yet. You haven't even started living until you got saved. I'm telling you, it's the greatest thing you could ever do in your life. And boy, once you get that peace of God that floods your soul and it feels like a weight got took off your back. I mean, I was almost six years old and I literally felt like somebody backed a truck off my chest. It's the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. That's a great rock. Then God starts investing in you and supplying you and trying to grow you. And somewhere along the line, you hit a point where you got to make a decision whether or not you're going to keep going or you're going to stop. He'll put his finger on something. It might be your pride. It might be you need to forgive somebody. It might be you need to give up something that God wants you to give up. 
It might need you need to start something. God wants you to start, and you ain't starting it. You're pushing back on it because you think you know better for your life than God knows. And I'm telling you, you're pushing away the light, and I'm, it's not a good thing. You don't want to shut the light off. Even when that light exposes some dirty corners and some cobwebs, you just need to go clean that stuff up and keep the light coming because he's light, and boy, he knows how to build you. He knows how to bless you. Now, now look at verse 34 and we're done. My meditation of him shall be sweet. I will be glad in the Lord. The light of our creator is the covering of God and it's a calm to our conscience. You realize that? It's a calm to your conscience. Oh, my conscience is troubled. Okay, well, have you asked God to forgive you? Okay, yes, I have. All right, then relax. Why? Because he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's bigger than you. God's bigger than your sin. God's bigger than your failures. God's bigger than your setbacks. God's bigger than your mistakes. And boy, to know the light of the Lord Jesus Christ and to let that light in, even though it shows me how far I fall short, when I acknowledge my shortcomings, the light of his countenance encourages my heart to where I'm like, man, I want to meditate on him. I want to know him. I want to walk with him. I want to learn more about him. God, please come talk to me. Please give me more. Please comfort me. Please help me. And I'm telling you, the meditation of him is sweet. Now listen. You want to make him happy? Want to make him happy? Think sweet thoughts about him. He knows your mind. He knows your heart. Just think about how good he is. And it'll bless him. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. It won't just bless him. It'll strengthen and comfort you. As the pianist comes, I don't know if he...